Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Good morning. It is good to be with you. Um, I know you're in the middle of your semester, towards the end of a school year. I've been around here enough to know that maybe you're tired. <laughs> you feel like school's hard. You're still looking at your schedule and you got a lot of papers left and you got tests coming up. Um, but what maybe you don't realize is that the time you spend here, that this, with Everything else and the challenges of school thrown in, that, that this, you have a unique opportunity that few people ever get. Um, and that unique opportunity can be for you like a greenhouse for faithfulness to Jesus. It can be an opportunity for you to, to grow your roots deep down into the soil of God and his word so that for the rest of your life, you can be strong and you can flourish, not just as a human being, but as a, a testimony to God and his goodness. Most people don't get this opportunity. And so my encouragement is, in the midst of the papers and the schoolwork and the assignments and the fatigue and all of that, that you don't take what you have for granted. Uh, this is a rare opportunity that most people don't get. If I got the schedule right... Um, I'm the first sermon out of 1 Peter, and you're finishing the year in chapel out of 1 Peter. So I, I think I have that right. Is that correct? Um, we're going to be looking at this passage that was read for us, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and following. And I'm not going to like explain all the details of the text. We're not going to do like a thorough exegesis of the text. If you want that, you can listen to my commentary on 1 Peter. It's on your podcast player. It's on Spotify, wherever you can find it. So you can listen to that. That's not what I want to do. What I want to do is draw a theme out of this um, that is just terribly, terribly important for you, for me, for all of us as followers of Jesus, especially at this point in history where we're living at. In fact, I'm so grateful that you guys are going to be going through 1 Peter over the next uh, few weeks together, because I sincerely believe that 1 Peter may be the, like, the best letter in the New Testament for us at this point in time, for where we are living at in the history of the Western world. Um, that's why I wanted to speak on the first one out of this series. Um, and so, uh, to, just to begin, a, a Jim Elliott famously said these words in the fall of 1949. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He wrote it in his journal as any, you know, 21, 22, 23-year-old person might do, and he attached it to a passage from the Gospel of Luke, the passage when he wrote that, um, that he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, the temporary things of this life, um, to gain what he cannot lose, the eternal things of the life to come. That's what he had in mind. And th those words would have been forgotten to history. 
those words would have been just another 20-somethings words in their journal had Jim Elliott and his colleagues not truly lived out those words six and a half years later when they died on the beach trying to take the gospel to an unreached tribe in Ecuador. He lived the words he had written six and a half years earlier when he said he is no fool who, who gives what he can never keep to gain what he can never lose. And that mindset, that hard set, that eternal focus, that, that focus on the world to come is really what lies at the center of these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 and following. And I hope you paid attention as they were read to us just a moment ago. Um, we have been born again to a living hope. Not, not just any sort of hope, a living hope. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've been born again unto an inheritance um, that is reserved in heaven for you, like stored away, treasured up in heaven on God's layaway plan for you. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's waiting for you. You've been born again to that. Um, you are looking forward to obtaining the outcome, the goal, the telos of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what you're living towards. That's what you're looking forward to, this eternal inheritance, this outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your very life. You have an eternal inheritance. You're going to inherit an eternal dwelling place. And the reason Peter begins this letter this way, with this emphasis, is because of the backstory to the letter. If you don't know the backstory of the letter, you can't appreciate why Peter writes this. You can't appreciate really anything he says in the letter. So you've got to know the backstory. And the backstory simply is this. Peter is writing these words in the mid-60s, about 35 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And when he writes these words, he's writing to a group of churches in what is now modern-day Turkey, scattered all over uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. And he writes these words to them because the Christians there are not experiencing necessarily um, empire-wide persecution like will be famous in 30 or 40 years under the reign of Diocletian. He's writing these words to Christians in Asia Minor who are experiencing increasing levels and varying degrees of social dislocation and marginalization. Their beliefs are weird. Their, what they consider virtues are suspicious. People that think that way and do those kinds of things, they're dangerous to society. Um, how could they believe that? How could they practice that? Uh, maybe if you were living in Asia Minor in the time period Peter writes these words, maybe you would be forced out of the trade guild and you lose all your support for your business and all your social support for your family simply because you believed that? You thought that? Um, you, you're, the, your beliefs about sex and sexuality were laughed at and ridiculed and viewed as dangerous for human flourishing. 
Your extended family may have rejected you and you've lost all social connection to them and you were ridiculed and marginalized because of the things you believed and especially because of how your beliefs showed up and what you did and how you lived. You thought you were doing the right thing, but everyone else, everyone else thought you were clearly wrong. And you had no place to stand in your neighborhood or in your community. The people you used to rely on, the people you used to depend on, the people you used to look to for support, all those people turned against you. And, and you're feeling incredibly marginalized, ridiculed, small, and out of place. So where do you get your identity? Where do you get your sense of meaning and purpose? Where do you get your resolution and your strength to continue to do what's right? And the reason I think 1 Peter is such a perfect letter for our time is because Western civilization is moving very much in that same direction now. Where, where Christian values, things that we think are right, are viewed with suspicion. Where HR departments are forcing Christians out of jobs because Christians won't participate in mandatory trainings because it goes against their values and their virtues. Where, um, where Christians, where a Methodist chaplain at a historic Christian school in the UK can be fired because he tweeted a scripture that supports traditional Christian sexual ethics. He can be fired. Where a pastor in Canada can be fined and, and jailed because of his beliefs that... Uh, Marriage is only for men and women, and sex is only for that kind of marriage. And if he preaches on a passage out of the book of Romans on that, and that gets put out on the internet, and the government finds out, and now he's fined and put in jail for simply preaching a passage of Scripture. This is the direction Western civilization is going, um, where, where Christians are looked at as potentially dangerous for society. Or they're looked on with suspicion. And you, you as young people training to serve Jesus and live for Jesus in this world, are entering into a world where what you think might be good and right by other people in society is looked at as dangerous and wrong. And what gives you the strength and the courage to continue to do what's right and to live faithfully in that environment? And uh, we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about all the details of that. Let me just recommend one book. This is the best book I have read. It just came out in uh, uh, the last week or two. It's by David Young called Resilient. Um, it is the best book I've read on, on what the situation looks like at present in the Western world, uh, what the issues are and where the battle lines are drawn, and then with biblical wisdom and humility and truth and grace, David Young gives really practical advice on how we can navigate some of that. So, for the details on how to navigate some of that, I recommend this book. Um, super helpful. But... Christians historically have responded to this kind of situation in a variety of different ways. One way is to assimilate. You can just assimilate. You can just kind of, be, you know, 
say, yes, 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 we're going we're gonna to merge with the culture, blend with the culture, accept their values, accept their beliefs. And sadly, we see a number of uh, even Christian pastors and churches going that direction and assimilating, to blend in, to not be offensive, right? We can go that route. That's one way. Christians can go the opposite direction, and they can become combative. They can become jerks to society. They can be mean-spirited, and they can uh, post and tweet all sorts of nasty, mean-spirited things mocking other people. We can, we can withdraw, and we can isolate, and just kind of hide behind our little cloisters and be no good to society whatsoever. But Peter, in 1 Peter, has a different approach to that. Um, Peter's approach for us is that we remember who we are, where our values come from, and we live in our communities in a way that's good for our communities as a colony of heaven. Peter wants us to remember that we are an outpost of heaven in a fallen, broken world, and how can we do good in our neighborhood, do good in our community as an outpost of heaven? So even if they look on us with suspicion, and they mock us with hatred, and they, they jail us because they don't understand our beliefs and our values, even if that's the case, at some point they'll realize, and yeah, but they sure were good in our neighborhood. They sure were good to our community. That's what Peter's going to recommend, and is you go through this letter over the next several weeks, pay attention to that theme. One of Peter's major pieces of advice is do good, do good. Sadly, it usually gets translated as do right, do right. Um, do right is different than do good. Do right is do the morally right thing. Do good includes that, but it also includes being benevolent and kind-hearted and helpful and good to your neighbors, where it's like they don't get you, they may not agree with you, but they appreciate you. Do good. And Peter's going to give that theme over and over again. And here, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, he begins that theme by reminding you and me who we are, where we come from, and where we're heading, and that our identity is formed not by this world, but by the world to come. That what we, are, what we are living unto, what we're living towards, is not squeezing every ounce of satisfaction and joy and happiness out of this world, but what we're heading to and living unto is we're living unto the world to come. There, there is a world to come. And we know there is a world to come. Not because we believe in wishful thinking. We know there's a world to come because Jesus rose from the dead. That's how we know it. It's a guaranteed fact. I sat in a fishing boat with my grandpa the last time he and I fished together. Um, I had prayed and fasted leading up to it because he wasn't a follower of Jesus. I wanted to have at least one last good conversation with my grandpa. When my grandpa said, John, I don't think it's possible for any of us to know what happens after death. I said to my grandpa, Grandpa, I would agree with you. I would agree with you unless somebody had been there and come back again to tell us about it. That's what I believe happened in the person of Jesus. We know there's a world to come, not because we have wishful thinking, but because Jesus has been there and has come back again to tell us about it. 
And so we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead unto an inheritance that is eternal and undefiled and unblemished, reserved in heaven for you. That's where your identity is formed. And so we, as God's people, we are an outpost of heaven on earth. And it's that that gives us resolution and strength to live in this world now as the people of God, uh, both for the good of here and now and for the world to come. And when we forget that, um, we, we desperately struggle to really be God's people in this world. And so, let me read the passage again, and I want you to listen. I want you to listen to all the emphasis on the world to come. I want you to listen to the emphasis on God and Jesus, and I want you to listen to the emphasis on joy in this passage. Just listen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Now in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you may have to suffer, if necessary, various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though refined by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So my simple encouragement um, as you begin this letter is to remember who you are uh, and to live in light of eternity, to live towards heaven. And that entails two things. One, living before God. Living before God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? You're living before him. Though you don't see him, you love him and, uh, and you believe in him and you rejoice with the joy exceedingly beyond anything you could ever say. You live before him knowing that his assessment of your life is what matters way more than anybody else. It doesn't matter what anyone else says about you. What matters is what God says about you. So you live before him. The other thing living towards heaven entails as you live in light of eternity. You live in light of eternity. Your ultimate destiny is the world to come. Your ultimate joy is the world to come. Your ultimate um, blessing is the world to come. You don't, you don't live in this world trying to wring all the satisfaction and happiness you can out of your, your home, your job, your, your recreation, your pleasure, your fun in this life you realize, no, I will get my ultimate satisfaction when Jesus comes again. And then you will know ultimate and final joy. So, my encouragement to you 
um, my encouragement to you as God's people now and forever is that you live in light of eternity. You live before God and you live towards heaven. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.